Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Welcome back to the State of Developer Education. I'm so excited for this week's episode with Rena Leone, who is the Senior Developer Evangelist at Imply. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. We got a little bit of snow here in New York, so first time in two years. Yep, I'm in Boston, so we're, we're in like the same boat. Yeah, it's very, very novel. So the place I like to start with all of my guests is hearing their origin stories. So I would love to hear from you how you got your start and ended up where you are today. Sure. So I feel like a lot of your guests say this, but I had kind of a roundabout start to getting to where I am today. So my origin story, I guess I went to school for music business. Clearly, I work in tech now. So how did I get there? Well, I got my first real like digital job working for a small but still like full service digital agency. So that's a great place to learn because you have everything from like sales and marketing to engineering and design there. So that's kind of where I got my start and discovered that I was pretty good at social media. So that's really where a lot of my background is. From there, I moved on to Sony Electronics, which is probably one of like the coolest things that I've done as part of their social team, working in social media and social commerce. I got to be there for like the PlayStation 4 launch, which was like a big deal because there were so many years between releases and they hooked me up with like cool equipment. So like that's how I learned photography and I got to like borrow lenses. It was definitely really interesting to work for such a widely recognizable brand. And then from there, I went back to the agency side for a hot second before moving back to Boston and diving into the B2B tech world, I worked at Acquia, which is founded by the same folks that created Drupal. If anyone is familiar with the open source CMS platform. And that's kind of how I got to understand developer relations and developer marketing. Even though I was still in marketing, I was kind of on like doing tangential things within DevRel from like covering a DrupalCon and doing developer profiles and writing guides to developer marketing and sort of was thrust into this role as like kind of a peacemaker between our developer audience and our marketers where there had been, we'll say, some tensions in the past. And after like another brief stop at more of a proprietary software where I was focused more on the product side specifically around decision sciences and AI, which was still cool. So I got to talk a lot about AI, which is like all the rage these days. And now I find myself at a company called Imply, which is sort of a similar setup to Drupal and Acquia, except it's Druid and Imply. Apache Druid is our software that we are built off of. And it was also founded by some of the co-founders of the company. And what Druid is, is a real-time analytics database. And I can talk more about that later because I could probably talk about Druid all day. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. My first time full-time developer job was actually as a Drupal developer. And this is back in, God, when was this? Like 2008, maybe? 
And so it was like maybe Drupal five or six. And they just like tossed me right in the deep end, like never had seen Drupal before, had only written a little bit of PHP. And this ed tech startup I was working for had just decided to use that as their platform. And it was pretty cool. I haven't gotten to work with it a lot since then, but it was definitely like a fun introduction to like modern web frameworks and that whole world. Sadly, never got to go to DrupalCon though. I always wanted to. Some of my coworkers went. I actually, the only one that like I went to was DrupalCon Vienna. So like oh, wow. it was wild because I don't even think at that point I'd ever been to Europe <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was in Austria for that one. But they have such a strong open source community. It was really cool to see how excited everybody was to meet in person. This is like pre-remote work days, but everyone was global, spread all across the globe. So it was like the one time that everyone met up. So many interesting presentations and so many opportunities for folks that weren't software engineers to also get involved from like mentorship to documentation. And I kind of understood the world of open source a little bit better before for me, it kind of seemed like, oh, unless you were like a hardcore dev, there wasn't a place for you. But going there, I realized that wasn't true. So I feel like that trip alone really kind of pushed me forward in this direction that I'm in now. That's awesome. So you got your start with music and sort of like the music business. I actually know a lot of DevRel folks that are musicians, like either as their hobby or perhaps a previous career. Is that something you kind of still find as part of your life? Like, is it part of your DevRel life at all? Like, how does it play into what you do these days? I feel like a lot of my interests, including music, like play really well into my DevRel life because aside from talking about work and what we do every day, I like to find common ground through common interests. So whether it is music or video games or anime or comic books, I love movies. So there's usually something I can like break the ice with folks before we start really talking about technology. So music still plays a part. One of the first things I did when I came to imply was make a playlist on Spotify based off of words that we use. So product names and things of that nature. And I didn't realize like our founders were going to see it. And so like it became a whole thing. And then when we had our company kickoff last year, not only did I emcee it, but I was also in charge of the playlist. So I still find ways to integrate music into my day to day. So it definitely still plays a part or at least like gives me cool conversation things. I have some friends that do some cool things in music. I have cool friends in cool places. tangentially cool (laughs) oh totally me too i'm maybe cool by like five degrees of separation or something i love the idea of making a playlist with the product names though like i don't know like i feel like sometimes especially in devrel we get so absorbed in like how do we speak about technical subjects to these Mm -hmm. people but they're still people right and like all of them have interests outside of writing code and it is often the thing that kind of like brings us common ground, right? Like they may not always be writing something that's super relevant, but there's a lot of developers that I remember making connections with over like a shared interest where years later, we found a way to work together, even if that wasn't the immediate like goal of our conversation. So I think that's really cool. Like, I think that I always like to see like more like multidisciplinary, like techie things going on. 
Well, I think that, you know, that's kind of the foundation of a lot of the work that I've done in the past and what I'm looking to do in DevRel is like, remember that these are people first and engineers second. I think kind of when you're part of the commercial arm, (laughs) that can kind of get lost sometimes in the corporate world. So I like to keep that top of mind. I think that's actually how I kind of fell into this was being in that very corporate marketing speak side and be like, nobody is going to respond to this. This is not how people talk. These aren't leads, just prospects. They're people like how do we talk to them like people? And then everyone's always shocked when there's good results. It's all about understanding your audience, paying attention and listening. It seems like the most basic things, but I feel like where everything is so fast paced and now, now, now that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes and you get very focused on what you need to push or what you need to tell people. And that doesn't always resonate, especially not with the developer audience. Yeah, I feel like that's very sort of tied into like open source community building and like open source ethos too, that many people are contributing to or using open source projects out of curiosity or passion. And that can evolve into a commercial interest over time, but it doesn't always start there. And I think that's kind of one of the more novel parts of like commercial open source is that you have this sort of two-sided ecosystem where there's all these people who are just like doing it because it's cool and relevant and like technically fascinating. And then there's an overlap, but like maybe a Venn diagram with people who are using it for commercial purposes and companies that are building businesses on top of it. Do you find that like the open source community sort of like understands and buys into the larger vision of Imply? Like how do the customers and the open source users play together? Yeah, it sort of depends on their use case. I feel like we have a variety of customers from like global accounts that are at a massive scale to startups. So it kind of depends on the use case, but we definitely have folks within the Druid community that are not imply customers. And we also have folks that started off as open source and then migrated. Like one good example of someone that I had on, I forgot to even mention this, that I have a podcast too called Tales at Scale. So I interview people, I interview developers every day. And one of our customers, Orb, actually found Druid as the open source and was like, oh, this is too much for us to learn. We need to move very quickly. So that's why they decided to work with us to make sure that all of their engineers were up to speed, that their clusters were optimized, that they were doing this the right way, that everything was set up correctly, everything was in place for them to just pick up and go, and they didn't have to worry about troubleshooting or optimization or any of that. So we find that a lot of the times it's like, hey, this technology is awesome, but it's really complex. Can you guys help out with this? Or some people are like, this technology is awesome. It's really complex. I'm going to figure this out. And so it's providing kind of both tracks for folks. So, you know, in terms of people who want to stay open source, we have all kinds of documentation and learning tools and things for people and our Slack channel for Apache Druid where like folks can ask questions. You never know who is maybe answering. It could be someone from Netflix. It could be someone from Twitch, like who is helping you work through that solution. But at the same time that we have the commercial arm as well, which we definitely see a lot of times for some larger orgs or people looking to like, I don't want to go through all the hassle of learning how Druid does things versus Mm -hmm. how like maybe a transactional database does things. Just tell me what I need to do. Right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's almost like 
outsourcing the expertise of like creating and hosting the technology, even if the underlying use case is the same, that's like an additional burden that companies may not want to take on. I mean, I guess that's like kind of the cloud model in general, right? Mm -hmm. Like outsource the infrastructure expertise and manage the implementation yourself. Yeah. And then we have like several different ways, depending on like what you're looking for. We have like a database as a service. We have like a fully managed like version of Druid basically. But then we have like, if you're AWS, we have like some hybrid models. So it kind of just depends. But I think the key here generally with anything like that is flexibility. Right. So, you know, whatever path you're on, we have you covered. Yep. That makes sense. Well, one thing I was curious about, so I know that like it is a analytics database, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that sort of implies use by both software developers and maybe data scientists as well. What are the different like types of sort of like users that you tend to see on a regular basis? And like, are there any differences between how they interact with you and imply? I haven't really seen too many differences other than like specific questions, whether I would say probably the two most common, we see like a lot of software engineers, staff engineers, and then data architects would probably be like our main base. In fact, I kind of want to like survey the community and see where we're at to kind of figure out the distribution of specific roles within the open source community because it continues to grow. So I'm kind of not sure where like the shift is, but it kind of just depends on where they're at in their journey. Do they have, are they setting up a data architecture? Like, do they already have a number of components that they're looking for something that works well with them? For instance, if they're dealing with streaming data, if they're using Amazon Kinesis or Apache Kafka, like Druid would have connectors to that. If they're dealing more with like batch data, what is their overall data architecture? So it kind of depends on that. And also like use cases. So more so than like titles, I would say the way that we engage kind of depends on the project. Then we can kind of determine exactly what they need or where they may be running into issues or kind of figure out from there. Same goes for like for open source if they're talking to us in in Slack. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Are there any like content strategies that differ for different audiences? Like doing like a podcast or a tutorial for a software engineer, I would imagine is somewhat different than doing it for a data architect. And to be totally honest, I don't even know what a data architect does. Like I've heard the term before, but it's not really my area either. Like, how do you think about like creating content and like teaching those concepts to different types of roles? I think that's always the DevRel balance, right? Because you want to make it easy enough for someone who has never heard of your technology before. You want to get that awareness out. The people who like, I've heard this, this sounds cool. Let me start from the beginning to the folks that are like, I've been working in databases and analytics for 15 years. I've seen like every database that there is. Like, how is this different from Postgres? And they really kind of want the specifics. So it's trying to find the balance between all of the stages in someone's development. And then again, what they're using the project for. Like, are they building? I mean, Druid is really set up for real-time analytics applications. So that might be something like self-serve analytics. I know that Atlassian uses Druid for their confluence insights. So they can see on the back end, like how many people are looking and you can see 
on the user facing side, like how many people have read your wiki and like understanding that is all powered by Druid. So coming from like a non-engineering background, I'm always trying to listen and create spaces for developers to like share their work and try to be really empathetic, which I know is overused, but it helps get out of the mindset again of focusing on what I want to put out there, what I want to tell people versus like what they actually want to hear. And so that's kind of my deal, especially on the podcast, right? So I think on the flip side, listening also helps understand, you know, in terms of content strategy, where content needs to be in terms of updates, Mm -hmm. features, bug fixes, learning material. So it's kind of what I love about DevRel versus marketing is a kind of more of a two-way street um, in terms of content creation. So it's like what we want to put out there in terms of learning content but also we're getting feedback from the community on what they want to hear. And one of my favorite things to do on the podcast is asking folks their Druid wishlist items. And then I get to go check the roadmap on GitHub and see like where they are. And so it's been fun to kind of circle back. So anyone who's asked about career from deep storage, it's GA, it's there. (laughs) So that's kind of like my initial approach. And we have like so many opportunities for depending on your level of expertise, or if you've never heard of Druid in your entire life, we have like a Git, Imply has a GitHub repo with Learn Druid. There's kind of like tutorials that you can walk through. And it's pretty cool because they're like a series of Python notebooks and they're backed by a Docker container. So like you can actually learn how it works instead of just kind of reading documentation. And again, if you want to jump on the Slack channel, Apache Druid Slack channel, we're here to help. That's really cool. We uh, take you know, requests. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's funny that you mentioned that, like, one of the big differences between, like, DevRel and, like, more traditional marketing is sort of, like, listening versus just, like, telling. And I feel like that's sometimes a tension in DevRel. Like, a lot of folks are responsible for product insights, marketing comms, writing educational content, sometimes writing helper libraries. Like there's such a multifaceted role that touches so many different parts of the business that it's kind of a balancing act to figure out where do you invest your time and how do you generate sort of a good return for the the business, right? While Mm -hmm. also serving the developers that you work with every day. Like I'm curious, like going from marketing to DevRel, you mentioned that having it be more of a two-way street is obviously one of the big changes Are there any like sort of guiding principles that you were able to bring with you from more of the marketing background? Because I feel like a good number of DevRel people go the other way where it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm a developer who has to learn how to do marketing, right? So I'm curious what you brought with you that's sort of been valuable in doing this. So I guess DevRel has, to your point, like does work with pretty much everybody. It's actually one of the things that I love most about it is like getting to collaborate across, not just with the community, but like across the business. But one thing from marketing that like I've brought over is kind of like structure and processes. We have so many ideas where there's always going to be more ideas and things that we can do than there are time to do them. So I like to kind of take more of a programmatic approach that also kind of helps inform the content strategy too. So kind of if you have like the three basic journey buckets of we'll say like beginner, intermediate, and expert or awareness consideration, like decision-making. So 
figuring out how much content goes into each one and structuring it more like a content program than just ad hoc, because you can get very much into the ad hoc space, particularly with an active community where you're like, oh, somebody wants to know how to do this. And oh, we have this release coming up and we need to do this. And this is going over here. So I'm bringing the programmatic approach also so we can measure things to your point about working within sales and the business as a whole. How do we measure impact? So awareness is always a tricky one, but there are other more like tangible things like driving leads or demos or people attending our tech talks or our meetups that we can definitely measure. But again, putting them into kind of programs definitely is something I'm bringing over for marketing. And like UTM codes, like track your stuff. Like just pop a code on the end of your link and work with your marketing ops folks to like track what you do. I would like highly recommend because sometimes with content, even if it's like the best written content in the world, you need to know what it's doing. And also teaming up with marketing gets it out there. So I would encourage DevRel folks, if you're not part of marketing or working with marketing to have them optimize, like share your stuff on social, add tracking codes so you know what you're doing. Be that promotion and activation engine to make sure that you're reaching your audience beyond just your own channels. Yeah, I think that's very astute. I think it's funny, like what you're describing sounds very similar to what I've heard from people who are at more mature DevRel teams where it's like they are thinking about things programmatically. They are thinking about tracking things. And, you know, there's kind of, I feel like, depending on the state of the organization, DevRel people could either have a lot of resources like marketing experts to tap into or people to help do SEO or content or whatever, or they might be a one-person team doing all of those things at once. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting to hear you, like, describe that because I do think that it's a gap for a lot of folks, especially people who are new to DevRel, is really understanding not just, like, how do I write a good piece of technical content? But how do I make that part of something that has longer lasting value than just like me writing it? And I think collaboration between groups is like worked out really well for me in the past. I don't just look at like people's blog posts, for instance. I've looked at people's presentations. I'm like, hey, are you speaking at an event? And sometimes like I'm the audience and I give feedback, especially for folks who may not always present are more focused on kind of, especially like backend developers who are kind of focused on the task at hand. Like I am super psyched to be their sounding board, their hype person, give feedback, or even like some coaching in presentation, because that's what I do a lot of, which I also kind of fell into. <laughs> or even just like light edits, like, is this readable? Is this readable to someone who isn't doing the exact sort of development that I'm doing. That's always like a good rule of thumb when thinking about collaborations with marketing. And there are always people to help. Like, is this optimized? Like, you don't have to optimize the entire thing, especially if you're using code snippets. That doesn't even make sense. But like, is the intro, do you have a good description of what your article is about? There are lots of like little things that you can do that would just take it one step further. And like, I encourage folks to like, ask how you can optimize your content, ask how you can optimize a demo that you've done. Or if you have written something, even if it's not on like a company blog, if you've written on your own, 
how can you get that out on company channels, I think is always relevant. And it's good for you, the developer, whoever's building that to get your name out there. And it's good for the company. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to hear your thoughts about like different types of developer content. So I know you host a podcast. I know you, you know, are obviously coaching people to speak and also doing your own speaking. There's writing, like the universe of developer content is fairly broad these days. Like you could have videos, podcasts, written content, live content, and everything in between. How do you sort of decide like what to prioritize for what situations? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on the subject. I always tell people like not every feature release needs a blog, a how-to, a demo, unless it's something major. So like, what is the level? Like, is this a mention in a release blog or does this necessitate its own explainer? So I guess it kind of depends on like the level of complexity. I would even say interest if it's something that people have been waiting for. Also, is it a gap in our current content? But in terms of content types, Again, there is so much that you can do. I guess it kind of just depends on the subject. So that's another thing we kind of talk through. I mean, I always feel like short form stuff is great. Short videos, but that's kind of hard to do technically. But one thing I see people get hung up on, and sometimes I am guilty of this, is the production value, especially with like, say, video or a podcast and wanting it to be like that top tier. But I have seen like the most basic screen share, walk through demo, absolutely crush it on YouTube. So I would say like, don't be afraid to experiment with different content types. Don't worry if you don't have video editors and designers and all of this stuff or a theme song for your podcast, even though we do just kind of try it out and see what happens. And sometimes it takes a while with certain programs. I wouldn't give up so quickly if you put out a video and then you don't see like thousands of views right off the bat. Sometimes things gain a little steam, but I think it just kind of depends on you the story that you have to tell. Let me put my marketing hat on. What do you want to tell? Do you want to walk people through why this feature has been added? Do you just want to show what it does? Like, is this something people are already familiar with? So you can kind of skip that part. So there are a lot of considerations when you're deciding on content types. And then again, what is your audience like? People love demo videos, right? They love walkthroughs. Like, is your documentation sound? Like, don't do the recipe blog. We don't need to know that like when you were 12, you skinned your knee. And now you think that this has led you to understand SQL-based ingestion in a way that you never thought you would. Like, don't do that. <laughs> Everyone needs an editor. But yeah, I think Try different things. Different content types are there for a reason. And just because it doesn't work right away doesn't mean you should just abandon it. I know feel fast, but if you feel strongly about it and you feel that it's good, I'd say push for it. I love that sentiment. It's kind of like the ship early, ship often kind of mentality of mm -hmm. content. And when I think about like the pieces of content that I've created that were the most successful or the most popular... You're right. Like they weren't always the highest production level. Like sometimes they were, but that's not a direct correlation. I remember reading a blog post once. I think it was by Steve Klabnik, who's like a big mm -hmm. open source guy for a long time. And if I remember the sentiment correctly, it was that 
the way that he became a really popular, concise writer was by writing every day. And that eventually he went back and deleted all of his early posts because they were not very good. But no one was reading them anyway, so it didn't matter. But it was really the habit that got him to a point that was kind of more mature and more well-read rather than getting it perfect on the first try. And I just like love that kind of approach. I do think people often get really hung up on looking like the professionals, even if you don't have the audience of the professionals yet. You mm-hmm. might as well just try something and see what sticks. I have a trick for that. So oh. I actually learned this from Dries, who created Drupal in the ZTO of Acquia, which is have a person in mind that you write to. So for his personal blog, he has a person in mind. I think I forget. It's like a 34-year-old dentist. Like It's like a very specific like profile. So for me, when I produce content, I am writing to my former roommate's best friend, Tim, who is a software developer. He is a manager, but doesn't manage people and doesn't want to. Like He's not in the game to be a team lead. He wants to work on cool projects. He is very introverted, but the nicest dude in the world, loves Lord of the Rings and playing Bloodborne. That's the guy that I'm talking to. And like, if you reach out to them and they're not ready to talk to you, he'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not interested right now. But you want to stay top of mind with that kind of person. And that's, I write to the Tims of the world. And it's like a joke. Um, I was like, you know, you're my audience that I write to. So like, when I think about creating content, I'm like, I'm writing to Tim. Tim is kind of my proxy for the developer audience. So who is your proxy? Like, are you speaking to a room full of peers? Are you like on a bigger stage? Is this sort of like a larger conference where there are lots of different disciplines and people from different parts of organizations? So I would keep that in mind and pick your person. Pick one person. Sometimes it's hard to be like, I'm writing to all software engineers. Pick like someone you know that's kind of a good representative. And I think when you start to think about that one person, it really helps steer your tone and conversation and kind of gut check because you can imagine what they're saying. Yeah, that's a fantastic tip. Yeah, I think I can imagine a couple of people that I've written for before and how they would react to the things that I've written. And it's not always a super like generalizable persona, you know, it's just like, this is this really specific person and how they view the world. And I know this will resonate with them. And there's probably more people like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that technique. Maybe this is like kind of the part two of what you were talking about a second ago. But what is the turning point where you want to start upgrading quality? Like you host your own podcast, right? Like, I host this one. I don't think the production quality is like 10 out of 10. Like maybe it's like five or six out of 10. Like at what stage is it worth investing in production quality, especially when you're thinking about developers, right? Like when does that matter? I would say like if you are plateauing in your audience, right? Like so if you kind of feel like you max out where your listenership, maybe that's a time to upgrade it. But like, if you are happy with your production value and you see a continual increase in your audience, then like, don't fix what's not broken, right? I think it's different when you're coming from like a corporate podcast side. So like when you're representing a company, there's a branding element that needs to be there. So when I do Tales at Scale, I have a producer 
that is on the line with me. So like I can focus on my guests and asking questions. And then, you know, he's on the back end making sure everything sounds fantastic. And he actually does the editing for me. Shout out to Mikey, my best friend of 20 years. <laughs> um, that that helps with the podcast. So it's kind of like the two of us. But even so, I'm doing this like, you know, on a pretty decent, like small budget. You can do it for pretty much nothing. I think if that's the case, if you're doing it, just make sure you invest in a good microphone. Make sure that if you're having guests on that they have good audio quality, pick the right tool. Like I use Riverside for mine and that works out great because I like the separate tracks option, but I don't think that you really need to up-level it unless, of course, you are maybe adding it to a paid campaign or something like that, or if there is a really, really strong brand component that you need to maintain. So I would, you know, get by with like the minimum that you can until that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Content is iterative enough where you can take a lot of tries at the same thing to see what works. It's not like someone's like walking into your office and that's the only impression they'll ever have of your brand, right? It's usually more multifaceted. And I think I love doing stuff scrappy, at least to start with. I think it really removes a lot of the creative barriers to getting something off the ground and trying to make it perfect. And um, I think like on top of that too is like have some consistent elements. Yep. Make sure that like people know what your show is about or what yeah. your video series is about. So like I keep my intro the same. That's kind of my vibe. I have like this one thing that I say every single time. So if you are new to the show, you know what it's about. And like, I have like a very silly sign off that I'm still like not super thrilled with, but like, I feel like we're just going with it. We're just, it's just happening. And so those are kind of like the elements. So like the middle part is the stuff that I play with, but like I have my bookends of like, Hey, here's what the show is about all the time. Then here's the specific intro for whoever my guest is. And then my outro is kind of always very similar, but then that gives me the middle to kind of play with the format a little bit. Yeah, that's fantastic. So we're getting up towards the end here. One of the things I always like to hear from folks about is if there are any like content creators, technical teachers or developer evangelists that you really respect in the industry, like outside of your direct team, like whose work do you really look at and say, wow, like I want to do stuff like that? So I'm a little like still feel like I'm so novice to like this space. But one of the people who has mentored me over the years periodically is Angie Byron. And they were at Aquio when I was. They helped me write like the developer's guide to marketing. And also we worked together. This is all the way back in like Drupal 8. <laughs> and so they've been like an amazing mentor to me. I believe they were also at Mongo for a hot second. I think they're at Avian, maybe. I can picture a little crab logo. But they have been fantastic in the world of DevRel. And then I'm actually really excited about my own team. I know that sounds like really tacky, but like Sergio Farragut and Peter Marshall on my team have been out in the Druid community and they're just fantastic folks. I would not know as much about Druid now if it wasn't for them and like really giving me the real deal of like how things work and how things work differently and really helping me then go out and talk to other engineers. So 
that I really appreciate. And so those are kind of my folks. And then this isn't in the realm of DevRel, but as someone who interviews people for a living as like a pretty big piece of my job, <laughs> this is going to be funny. But like, I really admire Sean Evans from Hot Ones because <laughs> he is such an incredible interviewer. interviewer. And like, I love when people will say like, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked me that. Like, that's what I'm going for. Like every time, like I'd also say like John Stewart, but like I am like definitely not on that level. But Sean Evans is one of like the best interviewers in the game for a show where celebrities eat very, very spicy wings. <laughs> yes. I don't know if he's a sleeper hit anymore, but he's definitely one of those people that's like not on primetime TV, but like obviously exceptional at like that craft. There's nothing I love more than when like he brings something up and they're like, oh, you read the book. Yep. Oh, you like, I love when someone comes in like so researched and so thoughtful in such a silly scenario too. Mm -hmm. So like, that's always my goal to be like an interviewer on that level. Cause like, he's not an expert in all the things that like these folks do, but he can ask very thoughtful and intriguing questions, mm -hmm. especially in that realm where I'm sure Dave Grohl's been asked the same 10 questions for like decades at this point. Yep, that's awesome. That was a fantastic answer. And I actually do remember seeing a lot of stuff from Angie back when I was doing Drupal work. So that's kind of a cool nostalgic callback for me. The question I end on with all of my guests is somewhat tangential to what we just talked about there. Is there any kind of like aspirational figure, like a leader, you know, a founder, a scientist, who you wish you could just like, maybe a musician in your case, I don't know, you know, someone you could grab for a couple hours for lunch and just like pick their brain about how they approach the world. Maybe Sean Evans style, maybe a little more intimate. So if this was like me growing up, it would be Jane Goodall. If you're talking about scientists or maybe even Sir David Attenborough, because, you know, I'm fascinated by the natural world and the research that they've done. Like talk about people who have like, gone out into the middle of it and done amazing things for conservation in my space. Well, I guess this is more in what I've done previously with some of my work around AI. I don't know if you are familiar with like the documentary Coded Bias or the Algorithmic Justice League, which is like the coolest name for like an organization ever. But Dr. Joy Bulamvini has done incredible work in covering bias in AI. And she's fantastic just put out a book. So she's been doing like the speaking circuit. She actually did a panel, I think, with Sam Altman recently. And that was really interesting. So I would say like kind of more in the tech realm, like the work that she's doing, especially with like how fast AI is progressing right now, making sure that those data sets it's learning from don't contain biases. And when they do, how do we rectify that is really interesting. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've heard of Coded Bias, but not of the Algorithmic Justice League. That's really an incredible name. Who do you think the Jane Goodall of developers is? <laughs> Who's like out there? Like who is like out there in the midst of the wild world of open source and developer relations, observing, understanding, being obsessed? Is it me? Is this is what I'm doing? I'm entering slowly. I'm understanding. I'm listening. I'm observing. I'm figuring out how to be accepted into the group <laughs> in the way that makes sense. So maybe that approach isn't so far off in <laughs> some of her work with wildlife of how to ease into a space that you 
aren't really in. <laughs> yep. I'm just imagining now, like, David Attenborough, like, narrating a documentary about someone talking to a group of developers about something. They're in their natural habitat. I don't know, like, drinking coffee and whatever. The developer loves stickers to adorn their laptop as a display for their affinity for technologies. <laughs> or like something like that. So that'll be the, uh, the parody episode. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rita. I really enjoyed this and I loved everything you had to share. We'll definitely include some links out to your own podcast and all of the cool work you're doing over at Imply. But I hope everyone enjoyed listening and will subscribe for more and happy hacking. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking. To find out more about Major League Hacking and how we're educating the next generation of developers and helping the world's leading companies reach them, visit sponsor.mlh.io. And make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen, and click like and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like it, please don't forget to leave a review, and we'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. On behalf of the team here at Major League Hacking, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking! Thank <laughs> you.